Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaos. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express, where we are um, exploring Trieste and its many terraced gardens and its befezed gentlemen and all sorts of other things that we can get our hands into. So thank you again for joining us on the show. We, at the top of the show, I'd like to thank our listeners and those of us who follow on social media. We will be super happy if you shared this show with your friends. And so introductions begin to my right. Hi, this is Mike, and I play James Robert Fraser, who this afternoon would definitely prefer a little book learning over tomb raiding. Fair enough. And to your right. Hi, this is Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and I don't think I'm going on any more expeditions with Professor in the future. It's just too dangerous. Yeah, I think it's become evident that when the two of you are in the same room, two things are true. One, the device gets fooled with, and someone becomes dangerously close to messing their trousers at the end of the table. Hello, I'm Giles, and I'm playing Simon Griffith, and apparently I wasn't there to save the professor this time. Yeah, I mean, sleeping on the job after staying up all night in uh, sort of this watchman's pose. Yep, you weren't there, but the professor seemingly has come through without being drilled full of bullet holes, so we'll take it as a win. To Simon's right. Hi, this is Miranda, and I play Maggie Bellinger, and I know... I know you thought it was going to happen last week, but I just had to make you wait a little bit longer. Yeah, what we've found is that one of two things is possible. Either patience is very important, or perhaps one of you is a tease. (laughs) And last but most certainly not least. I'm Martin and I'm playing Richard Courtney. And you'll be pleased to know that Richard's trousers survived intact after the last session, and uh, Maggie still can't remember everything. It's looking up for Richard. Mm, Yeah, for now, for now. We'll see how this session plays out. Okay, so we will raise the curtain on the afternoon. We'll say middle of the afternoon or so, as the uh, investigators have uh, regathered at the hotel. Some of them have had something to eat. Some of them have had a chance to calm down after being shot at. We've had a bit of a discussion about grave robbing, And now we're all setting off for our afternoon excursions. And so the little guide that you would have gotten, Lady Elizabeth, this morning from the front desk would have notified you that the city library is open roughly from 9.30 a.m. to noon and then from 12.15 p.m. to 2.15 to from from 2.15 p.m. to 4.15 p.m. So you're sort of angling now to get to the library for that couple of hours that it's going to be available. What time is it now? Mm, It's about half one. Well, I intend to be at the library right when it opens at 2.15. 
So, Mr. Fraser, anyone else care to accompany me, or do you have other deeds of daring do? I think Mr. Fraser has had a quick nap um, after after lunch, just for um, 40 winks or so to refresh himself. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, yes, I'll, um, I'll accompany you to the... Uh, uh, to the library, your ladyship, indeed. Aye. Perhaps we could uh, look up to see if we can find uh, any information about this uh, this Winkleman fellow. That is the intent, yes. I see. I think I should come along too, just in case, since there's more than one of these uh, gentlemen. Are we all going, by the way? Well, perhaps, Mr. Griffith, we should see if Miss Bellinger and the Professor are going elsewhere. Or Mr. Fraser has his unique talents, and so do you. And if the Professor and Miss Bellinger are splitting off, they may need your uh, accompaniment. Maggie looks to Richard. I I don't know. I mean, we could... Uh, what is there to do in Trieste? We could go back to the museum, I suppose. But those um, Turkish fellows might still be there. I don't know. I thought you two had a date planned. Oh, the... The caves... Oh, yes. yes. We could certainly go there. Or a cafe, maybe? We could perhaps... Maybe you could take your camera with you. Of course, I always have it with me. Yes. I mean, Mr. Fraser would note the look on Lady Elizabeth's face as very much being a, I hope these people go somewhere else so I can have a quiet afternoon with some books <laughs> sort of look. I think... Um, Fraser is is not so uh, exhausted that he doesn't pick up on that. Aye, well, uh, indeed. Uh, why don't um, why don't you and uh, and the professor, uh, Miss Ballinger, why, do, why don't you go and uh, um, have a look at these uh, um, these stalagmites and stalactite formations? They're supposed to be quite fine, you know. I've been reading in our uh, um, in our travel guide, um, and perhaps uh, if there's sufficient uh, sufficient light, you could. Uh, Take some photographs, and uh, then we could all uh, look at them later on. Ah, two birds with one stone. I uh, yes, yes, that's a, that's a, that's an excellent idea. Jim, uh, I'll go ahead and accompany uh, Miss Maggie and the professor because we don't want them letting anybody else out in the caverns down there. Well, I think we'd be quite fine on our own. Well, um, just in case, perhaps you should uh, run into any further Turkish gentlemen. Uh, it might be might not be a bad idea to have. Uh, Mr. Griffith with you, just to, just to be on the safe side, you know? I can hang back with my book on Greek, okay? You you two do what you need to. So, if it's settled, then we'll separate things a little bit. The nearest cave system, the Karst Caverns, reading over some of the guide material, is uh, about three miles northeast of the city. And it's actually thought to be the largest cavern opening to tourists in the world. There are some notes here that say it might be large enough to contain St. Peter's in Rome. It's that big. So it's definitely a, a tourist section. It's also something you, Maggie, would probably love to get your camera into just to see if you could take some great photographs of it. For Lady Elizabeth and Mr. Fraser, the big thing for the two of you would be just making sure you time up the library arrival, especially for you, Lady Elizabeth, knowing that from what's documented, it's only supposed to be open for two hours in the afternoon. And so that would greatly limit your available time to do research. I would have the hotel have a taxi for Mr. Fraser and I in time to get there right when it opens. 
I suppose then we will take the library first. And so getting around in the taxi is far, far easier, you find, Mr. Fraser, than trying to walk up or down any hills with the Bora yelling in your ear on a regular basis. You arrive at the library in due time. It's in the uh, Piazza Ahortis. So it's opposite a uh, maritime museum there in the city. When you arrive, you're let in the library. So the librarian actually is there at the door opening. You're there that close to time and they let you in and go to their desk and sit down and let you have at the library. The big thing that you'd want to keep in mind too, those of you doing research in the city, there is no university here. The other more serious library that's even close to this would be in Venice and you're not likely to go back there for books. Not at all. On your Nelly. I'm going to go looking for books on uh, Johan, especially since we know exactly what time period to be looking for anything related to him or this era, I suppose, those few years of history. Just for reference, Mr. Fraser is going to secrete a revolver about his person as uh, as the uh, the previous encounter with the Turkish gentleman has made him very wary. I think that's pretty reasonable given everything that you saw. It might even be, uh, it'd be reasonable for Lady Elizabeth to do that, but she's far too much of a lady to have a revolver on her, at least at this point. She's got her boomstick. Right. She has a, she's a cane just hit you with. And occasionally shoot fire with. Exactly, yeah. It's only happened once. Best not to rely on it just yet. That's why I said occasionally. Everybody got to start somewhere. So I think Mr. Fraser will, will, will predominantly be focusing on keeping his eyes peeled for suspicious loiterers um, and, uh, and carrying books as directed by her ladyship. All right. So the two of you set off around this sort of small library. I think what we'll do is we'll do it a library use roll every hour. And so you'll have at least two hours unless you find a way to beg, borrow, or steal more time from the librarian here. Okay. And so on a successful library use roll, you'll make a follow-up roll of Italian to see if you've gotten the right book. Did you give me any points in Italian for my studying on it? Uh, Probably not, but here's what I'll do. I will give you six points of Italian. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. Are there any friendly librarians around that could be perhaps persuaded or charmed into assisting us with any translations we might require? For someone as suave as Mr. Fraser, possibly. That is another thing that he will uh, bear in mind and uh, keep his eye open for as we progress. Okay, so I've added the Italian to my character sheet, and now I roll library use. I've got 80, so... And that is a 53, so that is a success. Okay. You find a tome, you skirt your hands along one section of local history, and then you find yourself in the general history section, and then you find yourself in like a Italian history section specific, and you find a book that you are fairly certain has sort of the same period, but you know with this being an Italian, you're going to need some sort of double check. So you can either attempt to discern it yourself, or you can take it to perhaps the librarian, see if they can do some sort of translation for you. Totally up to you what happens next. 
I think I'll try with the bits of Italian that I've learned first. And then if that doesn't work, we can try and persuade a friendly librarian. Fair enough. Go ahead. Not very likely considering zero six, but ooh, if I spend three points of luck, it's a success. That is up to you. I'm going to spend three points of luck to succeed on Italian. Okay. So you succeed. You don't check the box, obviously, because it's not a successful role. Yeah, because I spent luck on. Right. But that's that's okay. It's still it's a success within this moment. So you notice some very interesting text within and sort of this script that's been kind of scribbled into the, the margin here. And you nail that last name. That's got to be what it is. Now, the story that begins to unfold about Johann Winkelmann is pretty interesting. And it covers a couple of pages here. And so what I will do is I will request from one of our investigators a dramatic reading, a dramatic retelling of Johann Winkelmann and the lengthy history of him. Johann Wachim Winkelmann, or is it Joachim? I'm not sure. Born 9th of December 1717 at Stendal in Prussia, he died 8th of June 1768 in Trieste. The son of a cobbler, Winkelmann's formative years were strongly influenced by a study of Greek, particularly the works of Homer. He studied theology at the University of Halle in 1738, and medicine at the University of Jena from 1741 to 1742. His interest in Greek art may be dated from 1748, when he worked as librarian to Count von Bunau. His first work in this area, Reflections on the Painting and Sculpture of the Greeks, was published in 1755 and translated into several languages. He became librarian of the Vatican and moved from his native Germany to Rome. It was during a trip to visit his home in Stendhal that Winkelmann was murdered after unexpectedly turning back for Rome at Regensburg. He wrote to his friends, I am not what I would wish to be, and mentioned a melancholy which had overtaken him. Winkelmann's travelling companion, an art dealer named Cavacepi, insisted that at least they should go to Vienna, but there Winkelmann abandoned his companion and headed for Trieste. There, he met a man named Francesco Arcangeli, a thief who worked as a cook and pimp. Arcangeli at first strangled and then fatally stabbed Winkleman, apparently during an attempt to steal a number of medals carried by Winkleman. Arcangeli was arrested and later executed by being broken on a wheel outside the hotel where the murder was committed. Winkleman had time to make a will before he expired, in which he left most of his possessions to a waiter at the Locando Grande, the hotel where he stayed. The medallions eventually went to the Museo di Storia di Darte, while all of Winkelmann's papers, including a personal diary, were sold at auction to one Giovanni Termona, a local historian. Winkelmann was buried at the Cathedrale San Giusto churchyard. This was later moved and the Giardino Lapidario was created on its site. The cenotaph erected to Wunkelmann in the garden dates from several years after his death. A picture of Wunkelmann is also found, 
a reproduction of an oil painting by his friend Anton Raphael Mengs, made in 1771. And so you get a picture on the accompanying page of Winkleman. And so now you know what he looks like. So that that's what gets sort of retold in a, in a way by you, the librarian, and Mr. Fraser, who sort of help in a, in a circuit of writing out and sort of retranslating this story about Johann Winkleman. Well, there seems to be a, a lot there, doesn't there, your ladyship? Well done. Yes, I do have my skills. Let's just sort of smile a bit. So we will have to return to the museum at some point. Want to see the medallions. Perhaps we can figure out which one the person in the professor's vision wanted. But I would also like to find out what happened to this Giovanni Termona. Ah, indeed. Uh, if, if we're looking for um, some sort of manuscripts, uh, scrolls, as, as, as part of these uh, the Seregvar scrolls, then well, maybe this maybe this is a part of it. Entirely possible. Either that, or perhaps in his diary, there's some clue to lead us to the piece of the simulacrum, or one of the scrolls. Indeed, I wonder if it was this, um, what's his name now, uh, uh, this uh, Archangeli uh, fellow that uh, the professor saw in his vision. Somehow I doubt it. Oh, you think this uh, this man was uh, a scapegoat for a murder committed by someone else, aye? I wouldn't be surprised if he was the, what is the charming American term? I, I, I believe, uh, what it's, is it they said? The Patsy, I think that's what they say, are. isn't it? So we know the sort of people who are looking for these pieces and that strange compt or whatever. I am more inclined to believe it's someone of his ilk, if not him himself. Aye. And that this uh, thief was set up to take the fall for it. I wonder about this uh, this art dealer chappy as well. Whether there's more to that than meets the eye. Hmm. There's a lot to digest, certainly. I'm gonna have a look, Mike, for information on the person who took the... the, per, the private collector who took the papers in the diary. See if I can find anything. All right. Library use? Mm, yeah, that's probably a fair bet. I had a suspicion. 27 under 80. Hard success. Let's see here. It's nice getting to use the skills I'm actually good at. So there isn't any listing of him here in the library. So your role after an hour or so reveals that the family name here isn't directly linked in any sort of historical text. And that doesn't mean there's anything bad. It just maybe just that the records aren't here. So it probably would give you the idea to check a place that was more open as far as his records go. So maybe City Hall or... City Hall, yeah. So I think Mr. Fraser will have to pay a visit to City Hall if we're going to find out anything about this uh, historian, this collector. (sighs) Although it's a little interesting if he was a historian, shouldn't this library have some of his works? It's a little strange... Historians publish right, left, and center. Hmm. 
Well, perhaps... uh... And if he's a local historian, you'd think that this library would have some of his works in it. Well, I wonder if, um, I wonder if they've heard him. I wonder if they've heard of him at the reception desk. Uh, the, the other thing that, that um, s- seems slightly odd to me uh, about this is why, why would this fellow Winkleman leave the majority of his possessions to a, a waiter at the hotel? There's something behind that. Yes. It's not unheard of to leave one's possessions to a favoured assistant or servant, but uh, a waiter is definitely a little strange considering he didn't reside here and likely didn't know him very well. Exactly. Do you think perhaps it was a forged bequeathment? I I strongly suspect it may well have been indeed, Your Ladyship. Yes, that seems most likely to me. It's It's very unusual, very unusual. Well, perhaps we should also make a note of the hotel. Yes, uh, the Lacanda Grande. Now, if I'm right in thinking, I, we don't have a note of that particular hotel. Um, you know, let me just uh, have a quick check now. I, I, have, the, I have the map of the, the city here with me. I wonder if it's noted on that. I'm going to have a look just at this, um, this pocket map that I've got to see if I can see a, a hotel called the... Uh, Lucanda Grande. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not on the traveler's guide that um, um, that we have. That's for sure. So perhaps it's yeah, you know, a hotel that's no longer actually um, in operation. But it yep. was some considerable time ago. It appears, and if you cross-reference it with the librarian there, they they sort of draw a blank, hmm. and then you see them step back. This older lady sort of steps back and she goes to another book and then steps out from behind the desk and walks across the library and pulls out this thick tome and brings it back to the desk and starts leafing through maps of Trieste until she gets to that era and then a little bit beyond it and she points with her finger and she says here Mm. oh and then she turns to you and says no more. I see. Um, one moment, uh, and I'll get out my map. Modern Trieste, mm-hmm. uh, 1920s modern Trieste, and just yeah. try and cross-reference where she's pointing to with what's there now. Actually, the, the and that's sort of the deflating thing about it is, on your map, she points towards point four, which is the Piazza Punta d'Italia. So, so she points to the main plaza of the city, and, and she says... Um, uh, Hotel uh, Garini is there now. Hotel Garini, ah. And and, but it's renamed uh, Hotel Vanoli. Vanoli, same building. Hmm. Well, uh, no, no, no. Um, New building, but old old building. And she sort of smiles. And she flips the page, and you see the name of the prior hotel. Um, and you also see a, another name next to the hotel, which is Osteria Grande, which looks like at some point it was like a hospitality area, maybe during some of the previous wars. Garnini, it says, was built in 1873. When you say when you say hospitality, do you mean hospital or like hospitality as in? Yeah, I think I think it would mean hospital. Yes, so. Um, the, it's sort of a, it was at some point like a grand hospital, right? Okay, and then it got converted into a hotel, and then 
uh, Garney was eventually swapped over. Uh, it was the, the old hotel was demolished, mm-hmm. and it, the records here show that the new hotel was built in 1873, and then eventually got renamed. Right. Okay. Okay. So it's been through yeah. sort of a the wash a little bit. I think while I'm speaking to this uh, slightly older lady, I'll point to the the name of Giovanni Termona and ask, hey, "Do you know her history?" Uh, she sort of thinks for a minute. Um, I would check City Hall. Of course, of course. Thank you, thank you very much. You've been you've been very very helpful. Grazie, grazie. She struggles with the big book and closes it, and then dutifully walks back over and puts it directly back into the shelf where it's supposed to be because. This is her library, and she'll be damned if a book is going to be out of place. Professor, you and Miss Bellinger are planning on going to a grotto, a rather large one. In fact, the largest one, as far as you're aware, and probably in all of Italy. So how are you getting there? Well, I guess we'd look for a taxi. Richard's aware that the hotel can get such a thing after the uh, trip to the museum. and um... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Yes, um, not to be outdone by anyone else. You also get a hold of the single taxi in the entire town. No, you're you're easily able to find a taxi that will take you to this sort of um, what we would affectionately call here a tourist trap. So it is northeast of the city, just about three miles, and they tell you it'll take you know a little while to get there. But they rave about it at the front desk. Uh, they say Grotto Gigante is absolutely fantastic place and that uh, the lady at the front desk says to you, Professor, you must take your wife there. Um, well, yes, of course. And they sort of hustle you into the back of this really small Italian cab so that the two of you are side by side sort of trundling down the road. But where's Mr. Griffin? Yes. So yeah, the three of you pack like sardines into the back of this little Alfa Romeo and... Uh, with the, the wind whipping behind you, you make your way off towards the grotto. There really isn't a whole lot of room in this automobile for three people in the back. It's sort of comical. I certainly hope it's not a long ride. Uh, you know, it's actually not. It's about three miles. So it's probably, given the speed, probably 15 minutes. It's much nicer traveling in here, Richard, than it was walking by foot with Mr. Fraser. Uh, yes, I don't know what you were thinking. Uh, you, you should have got a taxi. Uh, much more civilized. All Simon is thinking is he's hoping that they get there soon so he can get the professor off his lab. You get there within a, a reasonable amount of time and you are led by this driver towards the uh, entrance to the grotta. And um, yeah, it's a simple fee to pay and enter these subterranean caverns. And this is actually probably one of the more exciting portions of the trip for you, Simon, because you get to get back underground in a real way. I believe they have tours hourly. Indeed. So you really only have to wait about maybe 10 or so minutes before you get led on a tour. So is that a tour starts every hour or a tour takes an hour? It starts an hour. You're not really sure how long it takes. Well, um, it'll be quite interesting to see what's um, underneath this. I, I've not done an awful lot of caving myself. It's sort of unassuming, actually, the entrance. There's a little house that they've parked the car by that where they take tickets and just a few lira to explore the caves. 
they do let you know in sort of broken English that you're sort of at your own risk exploring them. Uh, they tell you to be careful and they tell you to use the handrails, but not for the wind. And so a gentleman, along with uh, your party, which ends up being about six to eight people, begin to work your way down these wooden steps. It um, reminds you just a little bit of being in the catacombs of Paris, except there are two major differences. One, there are not skulls all over the place and bones. There's actually beautiful shades of brown and gray and amber rock as you sift your way down into them. And for you, Simon, this is like, it's the nicest, most open mine you've ever seen, even though it's not a mine. Well, since we can see the colors, is this lit by electrical light or torches or what? It's lit by electrical light. Professor, Miss Maggie, I advise you watch a step. As we go down some of these steps, there'll be a lot more condensation as the air gets cooler. So you could slip. Use the handrail like they said. Yes, Simon. I've, I have, I've walked downstairs before. Contrary to popular belief. Me and actually myself and the professor walked down a lot of stairs in the back in Paris. Ah, yes. Yes, that was quite the adventure. Yeah, they have they have rails here, so that is uh, very helpful. And you can tell that some of past some of the more wooden steps you get into fitted stone uh, along this sort of main trail. But it isn't at all fast going. This is the tour seems to slow a bit through some of the larger portions of the grotto here. Are we on the half of the tour that is by trolley yet? <laughs> look forward to the trolley. Not yet. Happy to have a trolley ride. I am. And that it's in English. That's what I'm most looking forward to. This is the, this is the main issue that you're having is that sort of this walking portion of the tour mm-hmm. is not at all in English. It's all in Italian. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a man babbling in Italian here and you have no idea what he's saying. Maggie starts to complain to Richard because the Traveler's Guide specifically said it was in English and she was looking forward to hearing someone speak English because she does not understand Italian and she barely understands French. I'm afraid I don't either, but um, look, let's let's take a positive from this and um, I don't know, perhaps uh, you could take some photos for your travel guide. Yeah, unfortunately you get something unexpected, which is probably the first... 15 to 20 minutes of this is just some gentleman bantering on in Italian. And he's very, very excited about showing you this, you know, wonder of the city. If only he had a care to speak to anybody except in his his, uh, native language. But you do eventually get to the trolley portion. Okay. I was saying Maggie will take out her camera and snap some pictures. Okay. Yeah. Snap a couple photos here of of this beautiful grotto space. It's a wonderful way to spend the afternoon after you get to the trolley portion. Because then there isn't sort of this weird voiceover. And the other people here are much more interested in just sort of experiencing it to themselves rather than being, we'll say, narrated. You move your way along through this trolley. Do we see any people in red fezzes just hiding behind stalactites or otherwise kind of lurking in the shadows? Why don't you make me a spot hidden roll, Professor? I'll fail it, but hard difficulty. That's a zero seven, which I'm 
I suspect it's an extreme. Let me just check. Definitely an extreme. Fantastic. There's a couple things that you notice are relatively out of place here. The guide who was kind of going on and on and on in Italian has since stopped, which isn't so much out of place, except that he seems to be paying an awful lot of attention to you and the people that you're with. He doesn't seem to break his gaze on you, except only when you look at him and then he sort of looks in a different direction. And as you're looking around, a few trolleys behind you, say maybe four or five, you do see some fezzed gentlemen back there. But unfortunately, the light is not really good enough for you to make out exactly who it is. But the sight of that red fez is unmistakable. Mm. How fast is this trolley going? Oh, it's um, it's sort of plodding along on a, you know, one to two mile an hour pace. You can hear this whine of the electric gears and mechanisms below. Richard will lean over to Maggie and say, um, Maggie, there appears to be some um, gentlemen with those red hats again, I'm afraid. They're behind us. Look, I, I, but don't, don't look like you're looking. Maggie will uh, yawn and stretch and look behind her. Stretch a little bit, turn your torso yeah, to try stretch to... Stretch my back a little bit. There. Oh. oh, wow, yeah. There are three of them back there. Hmm. And Richard will say the same thing to Simon. I don't know where he's sitting, but he'll, I don't know, somehow gesture or do something. Simon. Don't, don't look at the fezzes. Red hats. Simon's making a point of not looking. He's just going to assume that the professor is right and he's the professor has probably already clued everybody in that he's seen them because he's not exactly the most surreptitious person yeah it's not hard to after a few moments take in and keep in mind too that this this grotto tour that you're doing does turn there are some serpentine portions of it so that when your trolley is far enough ahead you do get looks at them and then you sort of go around one of these slightly more uh, curvy turns when you get to the other side of it you realize that the gentlemen and fezzes have found their way into the trolley in front of where they were was the trolley in front of them previously full or vacant no it wasn't full and it wasn't vacant but they seem to have found a way to hop ahead and there is some distance between you and the trolley in front of you it's no more than a couple feet but you're also to the right side of you, there's the grotto below. And any sort of mishap would potentially lead to some rather dangerous consequences for someone who fell out. That could be why they were telling you to be careful. Are How many seats are in each trolley? Four. And they're all facing forward? Oh, yeah. Okay. And are we the only three in our trolley? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have an additional fourth. I take the pistol out. And I'm resting it on my leg with the safety on. Okay. So the rest of you are, would probably see him sort of adjust a little bit. Whether you see his pistol on his lap or not is how much you're paying attention to. But uh, hey, you start to feel a little bit of a rise in your heart rate. So the, the trolley picks up a little bit of speed as it sorts climb back up to a, a section of the grotto. And it looks here, just seeing the track ahead... Maggie, it looks like it's going to dip down into a really low portion of what's going on. 
is anyone here continuing to keep their eyes in back or are you eyes forward or where are you where are you paying attention to? I would imagine that Maggie's like occasionally glancing over her shoulder just to keep an eye where on where they're at if they're getting any closer or coming up on us. Maggie, um I, I think if you um if you point your camera sort of behind you as if you're taking a photograph, then um might be less suspicious. Perhaps I could t- I could take a photograph of them and that might scare them off. Yes. They'll know we've seen them. So you're going to position your camera to take a picture? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you adjust the mechanics a little bit. And so uh, are you just going to randomly take a picture or are you going to take a picture with purpose? I want to try to take a picture of them. Okay. I want them to know I'm trying to take it. Maybe I want them to know that I know. So I think we made this an intelligence roll last time because I don't think you have photography the skill. Mm-mm. So let's make an intelligence roll. Oh. And while you do that, I'll oh, no. make another couple of rolls. Maggie's, um, Maggie's had some traumatic camera experiences as of late, so she rolled an 87 over 70. Did she? Mm-hmm. She's pretty uh, adamant about this sort of thing, though, yeah? Mm-hmm. So I think the hand of fate is going to step in and make that a success for Maggie. And when you do so, you light up the inside of this grotto with the flash. And there's a definite whoosh. Whoops. So you hear a bunch of people suddenly get flash blinded inside this dark cavern. (laughs) But you think you got a real good picture of one of them. Mm Mm-hmm. And as the group begins to trundle back down this really steep hill, you look back up. The the top of this area is pretty lit for making the turn. And you realize that one of those Turkish gentlemen is now just two cars behind you. He's made it closer. I'm trying to picture these caverns in my mind. It's very dark. Obviously, people have been blinded by my camera flash. Would we be able to duck off of the ride and hide somewhere in the caverns? You would. The trolley is going slow enough. If you were to exit the vehicle, you could. Mm -hmm. But you'd have to pick the right spot. And then you have to game up your chances as to if all three of you could get off at once. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was get off sort of as you go. It's tough to say. But that said, um, there are places immediately to your left that you could step off and be against the rock faces outside of the trolley if, if you wanted to live a little dangerously. Ooh. Well, what do you think, gentlemen? Shall we take a slight detour, hop off, hide in the cavern? Miss Maggie, you're reading my mind on this one. How about we wait for a part where it gets dim and we slip out? Uh, yes, of course. Hopefully unseen. Professor? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. I think we should... Um... I mean, they're getting closer. There's three of them. Indeed, there are. I think when it gets, uh, when it seems like at an appropriately dark point, Maggie would probably try to take the lead and just grab the professor's hand and try to duck out on one side of the car. Absolutely. All right, so go ahead. Go on, then take the initiative, as it were. The narrative is yours. What are you doing with it? Thinking that Simon will probably follow after us, Maggie will wait until the opportune moment, not really signal significantly other than to grab the professor's hand and duck out of her side of the car, pulling her, pulling him with her and 
trying to find an appropriate like stalagmite and ducking us behind that in the hopes that they don't see us get off the trolley until it's too late and they are not sure where we exited. You're looking for a sturdy, large stalagmite growth for you to be able to hide behind. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if you're going to seize the initiative on this and grab his hand and jump for when, when the chance comes, I think you should just do it. Yeah. And so make a dexterity roll. You're going to force okay. the professor into making a dexterity roll. Okay. Which he is not prepared for. Because mm-hmm. you're not talking about this. You're just doing it, which is something I love. Uh, so go ahead, Maggie, and make a dexterity roll. Yes. And then, Professor, you'll make one as well, um, but you'll make one at disadvantage. I had an extreme success. It was 385. Ooh. All right, Professor, it's on you. And then... As this begins to happen, this this sort of whirlwind of motion, Simon, you're going to get a chance to react to them leaping off. Although you have some sense of what she's probably thinking. That's a slight fail. That's 58 over 50. Okay, so I guess the question then is, um, would you care to push the roll? Oh, I think so. Fantastic. Is that a push roll with disadvantage or a... Well, the original roll is a disadvantage, so I would say the push roll should probably be at disadvantage as well. Yeah. If you'd like, though, uh, I mean, you could always spend the eight luck and just succeed. How much luck do you have again, Professor? Not enough. Okay. Where's the fun in? Where's the fun That's in that? Heaps of luck. Yeah. <laughs> yes, both of those were higher than a fifty-eight. We have a, a sixty-four. <laughs> And a 74. Okay, fantastic. Failed push roll. So here's what happens, Maggie. You leap. You stand up and in a quick motion put one shoe directly on the side of the trolley and you jump off for that stalactite. You clear the distance between the trolley area and the stalagmites and you step very gracefully into the darkened space there provided. A perfect hiding spot. It's unfortunate, though, that the professor does not follow you into that dark hiding spot. Because when you pull on his arm and you leap, your body weight pulls him up, but not out of the trolley completely. And he, in effect, tipped off balance, falls forward out of the trolley and then under the wheels. And so... Oh, no. Professor, take five points of damage for me. As a trolley including um, one being um, weighed down by Mr. Griffith, uh, rolls over your leg. (laughs) Simon, the trolley bucks underneath of you like a mad boar, and you hear a groan of pain and scream as uh, something underneath of it yelps. You manage, Professor, to scramble your way off the track area after that. You are wounded badly. Hmm. Clinging on for dear life at the minute. Mm, you are. With his two, two hit points. And uh, so here's my question then, Professor. Given the situation that you're in, I'd like you to make a luck roll for me. I'm glad I didn't spend it now. Following all of the, falling out of the trolley could be pretty bad. Now that was a... The, the, the green dice are back on form again. That's a zero three. Fantastic. So the um, device which sits in your pocket stays right where it is and doesn't fall out and get crushed by a trolley. Phew. Simon, given what you've seen, what's your play? Well, I'm going to try and get off the trolley like Miss Maggie did and not like the professor did. 
Okay. That would be a dexterity roll. That is a fail at 86 over 80. Alrighty. But I will push the roll. Fantastic. I'm going to hang off the side of the trolley Mm -hmm. and hop into the shadows and hope that nothing untoward happens. Before you roll, the hand of fate's going to put you at disadvantage. 12. So re-roll. Yep. 72 under 80. Still a pass. Still a pass. You uh, duck underneath the swooping hand of fate and you clear the trolley and the tracks and into the off-track rock face area. Now the question is, given the low light, did anybody who might be looking out for you all see that? Doesn't appear to, at least for the moment. Simon, you're back against the wall. You're a little bit closer to the professor at the moment than Maggie is, because Maggie's deep into the cover of darkness. And you watch as with two trolleys, one with one befezed gentleman and another one with two of them pass by right in front of you. None of them seem to be the wiser. I'm going to lean down and help the professor up towards me more into the shadows before they realize that the trolley that their trolley car that they're following is empty. Understood. You're able to recover the professor. His leg is badly badly wounded. It's it's you've seen miners with legs broken from cave-ins. You, you know exactly what's happened here. His 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 leg has been crushed very badly. He's going to he's going to need to um, get off that leg. Is it a crush or is it a simple fracture? Um I mean, I can make a first aid roll if you'd like to. I would. I would love for you to make a first aid roll. 63 over 44. That's really bad, Professor. I couldn't tell you what's wrong with it. It's, 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 I, it, it hurts for sure. I, I don't know what I've done to it. Uh, you misstepped out of the, the trolley, sir. Yes. I, uh, never mind. Simon, Professor, is everything okay? Uh, Miss Maggie, the Professor, his leg is uh, badly damaged. I, I'm, a sh- um, I'm sure it's broken in some way, shape, or form. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, Professor. Oh, that's okay. I'm sure you didn't mean to uh, injure me in any way, shape, or form. I'm, I, it'll, it'll be fine. We just need to get back to the hotel and a, a nice cup of tea, and uh, I, I'm sure everything will be fine. Oh, uh, yeah, perhaps we could, could put you on the next trolley that comes past. Yes, I'm afraid my trousers seem to have suffered again. And look, the, the bottom's got caught right in the wheel. Yeah, it does seem to be a rather unfortunate series of events that have happened this time to your trousers. It's uh, it's going to be a rather um, less than prideful walk. So there isn't another trolley for the next few minutes, you think. You're not really sure when the next one rides. And you're sort of caught now near the lowest portion of the grotto. At least you have tracks. You could walk back on the tracks, at the very least. Professor, are you any, in any shape to walk? Um, I don't think so. Or maybe... If your leg is broken? I don't know. I mean, if someone could give me a shoulder, I could um, put my arm around them and, and perhaps take the, the weight off that way and hob- hobble along. I... Yes. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I far underground do you think we are? That's a good question. Can Simon figure this out? Uh, you probably could. Would you care to make a geology roll? That's a 34 under 56. 
So given your experience, you're fairly certain that you're off roughly the main hall. So you're probably really only maybe a couple hundred feet below below ground. So not too terribly bad. But the real reason why it's not as pressured on you is because there's not a ton of rock directly overhead. So what you figure is a 20-minute walk, maybe back up the pathway, probably get back to where the regular steps are. And after that, get back towards the public area. Your biggest concern, Simon, isn't any of that. Your biggest concern is that those Fez gentlemen are going to get to the end. They're going to not find you there. And they're going to wonder where you are. That's precisely what Simon is thinking. How heavy is the professor? What's your size, uh, professor? Uh, The professor has a size of 55. You easily give him a piggyback ride if that's what it comes to. If I give him a piggyback ride, I have a move of nine. Would that cut me down by a third then to like a six? Yeah, probably six or seven at that point. Right. But it's probably going to be both easier on him physically to not have to put any sort of potential weight on the leg. And let's be honest, you're built for that sort of thing. This would be the first person in an underground accident that you've had to pull out of somewhere. It's just sort of like a Saturday special. You do this all the time. I'll pass Miss Maggie uh, the pistol. Wait, hang on. You gave Maggie a gun? My nuts. Thank you. And I'm going to lift the professor up on my back, hooking my arms underneath his thighs so it's I'm not touching the calf which was what was run over correct yeah you're fairly certain it's the calf so I can keep him stable on me as long as he wraps his arms around my neck and I won't be touching his leg except for it swinging so Simon do you have anything larger I'm used to rifles Miss Maggie I generally can't fit them under my jacket oh of course okay so the two of you begin heading back out towards the exit Lady Elizabeth and Mr. Fraser, are you going to head towards this square where the hotel used to be? Or are you going to head to City Hall in hopes of beating the clock to research this next family? I think Lady E will look at Fraser and suggest, I think perhaps we should maybe check out the piazza or whatever it is where the hotel used to be. I don't think we would have enough time at City Hall. It's already after four. I would assume things would be closing up fairly soon. So we would perhaps want to start with that bright and early tomorrow. Yes, well... But a stroll around the plaza would be nice. Indeed, yes. Uh, Why why don't we um, head off that direction? Uh, Let me check the map here and see if I can see where the city hall is. Perhaps it's uh, in the same general direction as the piazza itself. Yes... Roughly whereabouts is the uh, the city hall? Is it the same direction, completely different direction? City hall is likely relatively close to the post office, which would make sense because it's not far from Trieste Station, so all of your major governmental buildings are going to be near there. So we'll just say it is slightly south of the post office. Okay. And the piazza that we're going to is the Piazza d'Armi, is that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. Um, well, I tell you what, Your Ladyship... Um, why don't we take a wee dander up there, um, see if we can see the opening hours of the uh, the city hall as we pass, uh, and then have a look at this uh, piazza. Perhaps we can find a, a wee uh, coffee shop or something of the like and, and put our feet up for a few moments. 
Sounds like an excellent plan, Mr. Fraser. Shall we go? Don't want to hold up the librarian's clearing up? Of course. It does not do well to offend or irritate a librarian. Oh, heaven forfend, your ladyship. The two of you work your way back towards the city center, that place where the plaza is, and get an opportunity to look at what was with City Hall likely being probably closing relatively soon. The plaza's open and wide reminds you slightly of a sort of toned-down Venice. Uh, Nothing nearly as grand, a much smaller city, but you do locate the place where this hotel once stood. Winkleman was killed at the uh, Locanda Grande, and so knowing that this is where the site is, you eventually do locate this Hotel Garni, which eventually was renamed to the Hotel Maloney. It stands there in the plaza, just as they cross it. As you're crossing that space towards the hotel, I'd like the both of you to make spot hidden rolls. 38 under 63, success. Right. 74 under 86. Fantastic. So as you cross the plaza, it's probably at this point, given your two different library use roles, the travel, it's probably getting close to about five. Given this time of year and given the time of day, it's just now beginning to not get dark, but the sun is is setting. And you can see the, the long shadows are beginning to draw along these buildings as you cross the plaza. And that's when the both of you notice to your left of these series of buildings. One of these buildings has a third floor window. And in that window, there's a very pale face that stares out at the both of you. Is it a face that I recognize? It's hard to tell from distance, Lady Elizabeth, but it's roughly the same shape. But you see it watching you as you pass through. You feel their eyes on you. You can practically hear the eye roll. Mr. Fraser, I think he's here. I had, uh, in, the, in the window up there. Who is it? I don't... Uh, I can see there's a, somebody seems to be observing us, but I can't quite make out. Father's other son. Oh, ah, that fellow. Aye. Well, I can't honestly say that I'm entirely surprised. You saw it too, Mr. Fraser, and that's not who you made out. You disagree. A a person from a bygone age, perhaps. Uh (gasps) Uh-huh. Are are you quite sure that that's who it is, your ladyship? No, it was quite far away. It's got a creepy sort of stare feeling. Aye, well, that's... Well, the creepy stare, as you put it. Uh, I've seen that stare before. Watching me. Watching me from a roof. Ah, I see. So you think it's our ghostly presence? I believe it may be. However... We should keep him away from Miss Bellinger, lest she try flying again. Indeed. Indeed. I, 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 I don't know quite what... What he has in store for her. He seemed to be paying a rather unpleasant interest in her. But the fact that he is here, well, to me that means we must be onto something. Yes, he does rather seem to show up whenever we're about to find 
the things we're meant to find in a particular place. I indeed, indeed. I, I, I get a... Wonder why he's watching us and not Miss Bellinger. Well, perhaps... Perhaps it's not so much someone he's watching as something. Do you remember we saw him in, uh... Back, uh, back in Venice, he was keeping a close eye on, on the piazza where the clock tower was. Now he's here. So perhaps our piece is here and he's waiting for us to retrieve it. Yes, or another thought comes to me. Perhaps he's waiting for Miss Bellinger to retrieve it. Yes, well, I wouldn't be surprised if he wants us or rather Miss Bellinger to retrieve all the pieces, and then he can put them together. Perhaps he's not capable of retrieving them himself. Not at this point, anyway. I think you have it, dear ladyship. I think you've hit the nail right on the head. But I do think that he wants something of, of, of the one who does put all the pieces together. Maybe that's how... Maybe that's how he can, I don't know, gain power or something... You, you know more about this sort of thing than I do, but could it be that if someone collects all the pieces, and we've seen we've seen with our own eyes the, the effect that it seems to be having on Miss Ballinger, what could become of her if we do collect all the pieces? If she has them in her possession, what, what could happen to her? And, well, what could it mean to him? I think perhaps... You know, she's very insistent on others not picking up the pieces. Perhaps she shouldn't be picking up any more. It's like a kind of addiction for her. I've seen it before. I've seen it in those who have had a dependency on on, well, on, on the poppy and, and so forth. I'm more concerned that perhaps, as we've noticed, and she's described each piece she picks up, causes an issue in in the same corresponding part on her body. And if she touches all of them, might it not transform her or serve as a vessel for a particular ghost or something in some way? I don't know, your ladyship. I don't know what it means. I don't understand how it works. That's, that's your domain, not mine. But I do know that with every piece that we find Miss Bellinger has in her possession. It, it's, it's as you say, it, they all affect her physically, but they affect her mentally as well. It's like, it's like a, she has a, a, like I say, an addiction to it. It's like when the drink takes hold of a man. It turns him, it turns him into something. It turns him into to something he's not or he is deep underneath or something. But there's this need, there's this this urge, this, this, this driving force, and they won't listen to reason. I, I fear that Miss Bellinger is headed down that path. Okay. It's quite likely, but there's not much we can do about that at the moment. The uh, two of you find, I suppose, with, with City Hall likely closed, you find the hotel... There's a restaurant inside, should you care to get something to eat, or perhaps something to drink. What do you say, your ladyship? Yes, I think so. Back at the cave, Simon, 
you don't have to make a strength test per se to carry the professor's weight, but you are beginning after, say, 15 minutes or so, labor slightly just under having to carry his weight. And Professor, you're doing the best you can to be this thinking light thoughts. That's the best you can do. Simon, are you in front or is Maggie ahead of you or behind you? How is that? Actually, I should ask Maggie too, because that's a question for her. Where, where are you? Where are you at? Are you walking behind them? Yes, I, Maggie would probably be behind. All right. I'm going to set as steady a pace as I can without rocking the professor too much. I can help you if you need, Simon. Miss Maggie, let me focus on this and you focus on anybody coming up from behind us, please. I'm worried that they're going to find out that we're not there anymore. You get to the point where in the distance you see the staircase beginning these lights and you continue to maneuver your way closer towards this staircase that's going to bring you back to the public area. Ah, We're almost there. Uh, You're doing a fine job, Simon, a fine job. And you, Maggie, I'm keeping up the rear there. Oh, thank you. That's far enough. Your voice overhead. Maggie turns and points the gun. (laughs) You point the gun at the darkness. Wherever the voice came from. You turn around behind you and then you turn back. You're having a hard time finding it. Mm -hmm. It It's real echoey in here. Oh, yeah. Far enough. Still thinking. Uh, So this silhouette steps out from one of these stalagmites. And you see a pistol in their hand. Dodged us in several cities, haven't you, Professor? Go on. Put him down. Is this the same person as before? Same gentleman. Ah. I thought you went last time. I don't want to have to shoot the rest of you. You're not the only one with a gun here, sir. I'm not the only one here. I'll shoot as many of you as it takes. Uh, She will. You see up there? At the entrance? You're covered. And what is it then that you plan on doing with us? That is simple. Your professor, he dies. The rest of you? No, I think he'll be fine once we get him out of here. The rest of you can go about your business. I only want one thing. It's Professor Courtney's head. He's looking concerned. I'm rather attached to it. Not for long. Miss Maggie? Yes? Shoot him. Maggie, sorry, Maggie attempts to shoot him. Okay, so it won't be surprise because... Let me give him a spot hidden roll to see if he knows that you're... Did you announce that you were armed? You know, you said you're not the only one with a gun. And I was Trump pointing it around. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I was waving a gun around. I don't know if you think I would shoot. Well, you're right, yeah. But but he knows you have one, so you wouldn't get... In, it's not a surprise attack. Uh, you pull the trigger. Yes. Roll your firearm skill or your um, pistols. I'm not as good at handguns. Handguns. But I'm good enough for a hard success. 10 under 20. Okay. No one threatens my professor. That pistol that you handed her, Simon, uh, 45? It is a 45. That would be 1d10 plus 2. All right, roll it, Maggie. Yeah, no, this is a monster of a weapon to give Maggie. What's Maggie's size? Maggie's size is 55. Yeah, so it's comical. It's huge. Oh, it's just a 4. The gun goes off, and the chamber here is echoes a little bit with the shot. Um, Your opponent crumples a little bit and then is going to squeeze the trigger on his revolver. Given that him and you are both armed and both had intentions of using the pistol, those two actions are going to happen before anybody gets a chance to do anything. Now the question is, 
Who does he hit? Gunplay is always fun. Ooh, okay. So I think the best way to do this would be, given he's been shot, I think the best way to do this would be percentage roll. 33% for each one of you. Um, Shooting the professor would be pretty tough, given that he has essentially, given Simon's position, about 80% cover. Not impossible. And he is aiming at you, Professor, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. Simon, you're going to get shot. Oh, thank goodness it wasn't the Professor. Rude. Question. I never updated it, but what what is my current... How many hit points did we get back from the trip from Venice to Trieste? So you would have had medical care via Paul. You probably got two hit points back. Okay. I'm not sure what you're at right now, but... Oh, I'm at 10. Okay. Well, we're going to find out what you're out after this in a second. So there's that. Okay. Uh, so it's nine points of damage. Ouch. They are a better shot than me. Ouch. 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 So you shoot, Nagy. There's a sort of a grunt and then an additional report from this revolver that goes off. And you get hit center mast. While it does not take all of your hit points and you are a pulp hero so you basically fight until you die you are in a world of pain I'm going to have you make a hard strength roll to hold on to the professor or drop 14 under 80 you hang on and you can stay standing if that's what you want so now Simon and the professor can go well my hands are full so I'm stepping back into the shadows I've just been shot, so I don't exactly want to be exposed anyway. If I can get behind a stalagmite or something as well, sure, we'll do that. So do you want me to roll stealth? I mean, I understand this may be opposed. I'm hoping he may be distracted. Yeah, it'll be opposed. I'd like you to roll stealth if you're trying to actively hide. Oh, yeah, with the professor. Regardless, we're trying to get behind something. So hopefully that, as the professor said earlier, Stone has that wonderful ability of stopping bullets. True. Okay. That's a 53 under 55 or under 65. Okay. So you take the shot to the chest. You waver for a second and then you step or fall or slide back. You're not sure which one, but you pivot out of the way and into the darkness. Professor, are you planning any specific actions? Are you just trying to hang on to your somewhat reeling companion? Yeah, I think Richard's going to be hanging on. All he's got is a pair of wooden dice, and they probably aren't going to do much damage. Maggie, it's back to you. Maggie will shoot again. All right. It is certainly a fail this time. 71 over 20. You're still at point blank, so... It is still a 71 over 20. (laughs) All right, you fire. He's got nobody else to shoot at now. All right. Uh, He fires at you and misses. Good. 93. So provided that Simon is going to stay back in the corner for the moment. I'm going to set the professor down in the shadows behind the stalagmites. Okay. You set him down. And your chest is roaring in pain. Oh, I... I, You're gasping for air. Simon is extremely hurting. Um, He's going to be peeking around... Uh, in the shadows to watch and if he can get a good throw he will. What are you going to throw? I have my dagger in my uh, ankle on my uh, leg sheath. Yeah. I think it's reasonable for you to have a couple of things, right? So advantage on the throw 
if you're using it to attack because you have an opponent that is totally unaware they're in a gunfight yeah it wouldn't be terribly hard you won't be point blank by any means but so that is a 41 over 30 or no excuse me a 37 over 30 you said I got an advantage dice yeah you have advantage on it alright let's see so you can at least roll it before you spend the lock if you need to oh that's a 17 oh okay and that would be 1d8 I'm rolling poorly, but three points. So you pitch your dagger from the shadows and you catch this Turkish gentleman about the neck. And it sort of it doesn't sink all the way in. It goes through a portion of his neck and he starts to spin wildly out of control as his neck and shoulders begin to get coated with blood. Miss Bellinger. Yes. Attraction. He's the only one that has tried to fight us so far, even though he threatened there being others around. That's correct. So Maggie does not believe him and will try to shoot him again. Okay. That is a 66 over 20 and another 66 over 20. Okay. So you fire again, having a fairly difficult time here in the darkness. The limited light connecting with your opponent. It's also... The, the recoil on this weapon is quite something. So your combatant falls over onto the stones here and sort of tries to pull this blade out of his neck, coughing up a whole bunch of blood. Simon, or for that matter, Professor? Um, Richard's going to look for some rocks or some other sort of projectile he can chuck. Yeah, there's a rock, sure. Tons of them. Cool. Right, he's going to do his level best at uh, he's played a little bit of cricket and he's going to do his level best to try and get this guy in the temple throw it or walk up and smash him in the head oh throw it like he's in any shape for walking I was thinking that I mean is it everything's an impaling weapon if you're brave enough right <laughs> south of sharpening rocks alright professor go ahead give me a throw roll a throw roll is there, is there any advantage here or you're going to get allowed, be allowed to make it? Yeah, okay. Oh, we'll, we'll go with that. Let's go for the evil pink dice. Mm, evil. 80. You throw a rock. It's not especially helpful, but you throw one. He's doing his part. Fair enough. Simon, you're uh, weaponless now. Bleeding. He was pulling the knife out of his neck, correct? Or did he have another action? So, the gentleman on the floor from his back will fire up at Maggie and that's a 7 you don't really need my advantage roll I have so much luck you're about to use a shit ton of it alright very good so take 22 Maggie is uh so what would just kill me outright how many hit points you got I have 20 total okay so 20 yeah that'll kill you as soon as you take the the 21st point, you're dead. Gotcha. I will spend my luck to live then. Okay, so you dump all of your luck. Okay. And you're out of the rest of the scene. You collapse. As the bullet pierces you. You feel your fingertips go numb. And your frame begins to shudder. You feel a deep sense of surprise. But it wash over you. The ground comes very fast. As does the darkness that follows. 
Professor, you watch Maggie get shot. And she says, the gun tips over onto the rocks. And this man on the ground tries to continue to push his way back up. May I ask a question? Sure. Since I have not acted yet, correct? You have not, no, because the man got an action before you did. Maggie is between you and this gentleman. How close am I to the gun? Uh, you're close enough to where you'd have to step out from the shadows completely to get the gun, but it's gettable with your move. Can I get? I can't get it and shoot it this round, though, right? Mm, your normal move without the professor on your back is nine, right? I'd say it's pretty easy to collect the gun. I'll put you at disadvantage for firing it. I'll do that. That one is, uh, it goes off. It's just a miss. That's both a 74 and a 94, but it's not a botch mm-hmm. or a jam, so. Fire item. Then that was my action. And then I, I don't know how we are cycling around at this point now. Well, at this point now, uh, he is going to go because you and the professor went. He still has a weapon out, so he still gets the bonus to his initiative from the gun. And so he'll turn to you and shoot at you because you've revealed yourself. And that's a two. So that's another 22 damage I laid to you. So you can spend all of your luck or die. Is that the 30 luck or all my luck? It's all your luck, but you need at least 30 to do it. Done. Zero. You get shot again and you collapse and you lose sight of your combatant and the man you were sworn to protect as you feel the rails of this trolley car area cradle you as you fall down. Professor, it's your action. Uh, I don't think Richard's going to stand much of a chance running away. Um, so I think he's probably going to need to do a an all or nothing thing here. Um, so he's going to pick up a rock and with all of his might, he's going to run over and try and bash this guy, taking advantage of the fact that he doesn't really know where he is. Running over is a little bit difficult, but um, what's your move? Uh, it's only seven. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you have it. It's not that far of a distance, really. You can fighting brawl. It's uh, it's likely your only opportunity. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead. And uh, I won't fight back, but I will attempt to. A funny noise indicates that was a 70. Mm. There's no push available for you here, but you could spend luck. How much luck would I need to spend? Would I just need to make it a success or don't we know yet? You would need to make it a success. Mm. Go on then. Then. Uh, so he's got 57 at the minute and he's rolled a 70s the difference there is 36 so that would take him down to 21 this is a very expensive combat no, it's very painful <laughs> mm, it is so I'm going to go ahead and give you we'll say uh, given a fist sized rock I'll say it does a d6 plus your um, size bonus I don't think I so size bonus is damage bonus is it yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't have any. Fortunately, it's not a negative. D6 then. Right, this is my lucky orange D&D stat rolling D6. I swear this thing is loaded. Two. Not this time. Uh, you crack him on the skull. <laughs> and uh, he completely loses any strength he had left in his body and falls back onto the grotto floor. 
pistol still smoking. And that is where I'm going to call the session to a close. So thank you all for a very exciting episode of Horror on the Orient Express. We will see you next week. <laughs>